Hi, this is Andrew Kreisberg, and you're listening to Supergirl Radio. Another Supergirl flies into CBS. Supergirl wins a People's Choice Award. And we discuss childish things. This is Supergirl Radio. Welcome to Supergirl Radio, your source for all things related to CBS's Supergirl TV series and the character of Kara Zor-El. I'm Teresa Giacino. My name is Rebecca Johnson, and in this episode of the podcast, we're going to talk about the season one episode of the show titled Childish Things. But before we get to our discussion, we have... The news. A third Supergirl is coming to CBS. (laughs) Uh, Laura Vandervoort, uh, who played... Kara on uh, Smallville has been cast as uh, DC Comics character Indigo. Supergirl producers are describing Indigo as, quote, a living, strong-willed supercomputer that was sentenced to Fort Roz after turning against the people of Krypton. Now on Earth, Indigo will let nothing stand in her way. Uh, End quote. Laura will be making her first appearance as Indigo in episode 15. Andrew Kreisberg teased that, quote, being one aspect of the Brainiac program, Indigo comes in through computers. So Wynn is actively involved in that episode. But she has a very interesting backstory, unquote. So this is pretty awesome. Uh, I think we both kind of wanted this to happen. Yes. Um, and, uh, it sounds like this is going to be a recurring role for Laura. So she'll, it sounds like she'll be in multiple episodes. And I don't know about you, Teresa, but I kind of want a scene where all three Supergirls, Helen Slater, Melissa Benoist, and Laura Vandervoort are in a scene together. Because if I was a writer for the show, I wouldn't be able to pass that up. They they have to. Um, <laughs> I feel like that 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 is going to happen. That has to happen at some point. Um, and being that she is uh, able to go in through computers, uh, if what you know Andrew Kreisberg is saying is right, then she can turn up anywhere at any time. Um, she could turn up on Kara's laptop at home. You right, know, yeah. <laughs> we don't know. And then you know her mom's visiting. There you go. Um, In other actor news, uh, Jeff Branson has been cast in the recurring role of DC Comics character Master Jailer, which is kind of the best and worst name for a villain ever. (laughs) Um, Deadline.com describes him as, quote, the forceful and unrelenting jail guard on Fort Roz, Master Jailer, who shows no mercy. Now on Earth, he's hell-bent on catching all the Fort Roz escapees and brutally bringing them to justice. Yeah, I'm really excited about this casting news as well. Um, I know Jeff Branson mainly from The Young and the Restless. Uh, He was one of my favorite characters, Ronan. He hasn't shown (laughs) up in a while, but it sounds like he's got some some big things coming, especially on Supergirl. So I'm very excited about this. Totally. And, uh, you know, in thinking about uh, when I wrote about the uh, Laura Vandervoort and the uh, Jeff Branson casting news over at the Mary Sue, I was talking about, like, just what, 
the story would be because Indigo in the comics is kind of different than what they're describing here uh, for the show. But I'm guessing that, you know, at some point while she might initially be coming as a villain, um, I feel like the Master Jailer is going to be the person who like is coming after all of the criminals. And on the one hand, you're like, yeah, that's, you know, great. We need help bringing these, you know, people to justice who have escaped. But then he's probably going to go overboard to the point where Supergirl might have to be on Indigo's side because it's like, what's worse, the criminal or the person who's coming down like as a torturer on these criminals, you know? So it's like, who's actually the bad guy and who's actually the worst guy? I feel like there's <laughs> yeah. there's going to be a lot of, of play around that. Yeah, I'm hoping that Indigo will actually have a story arc where she starts off as a villain, but maybe she ends up uh, being a good guy. And normally I'm not all for those kinds of stories because, you know, villains should be villains. But I think it would be really fun to see Laura Vandervoort play both sides of that because uh, I am a big V fan and she played a character named Lisa, who was a visitor on that show. And she had a, a similar arc to that where she started off as uh, a, a, I, I would say a villainous character. She was on the bad side, but towards the end of season two, she became uh, one of the good guys. And that was actually yeah. really fun. And so she's a, a great actress to pull off that kind of story. So I, I'm kind of hoping that that happens with Indigo. Totally. And I think that, you know, if, they're, if they are drawing from the comics, uh, the source material, I mean, she was a superhero for a while. Um, except she took kind of a reverse journey, from what I understand. And I don't know much about her from the comics, but from what I understand, she took a, uh, she started out good and then turned into a villain mm. in the comics. So I think she might be doing like a reverse thing on this show, if if you can judge by like a, a flimsy character <laughs> description. <laughs> well, in more casting news... We have a lot of it this week. Uh, we finally know who is playing the comatose patient in Maxwell Lord's facility and who might be CBS's version of Bizarro Girl. The actress's name is Hope Lauren, and she will be featured in an episode appropriately titled Bizarro. Uh, we've seen <laughs> her a couple of times. We saw her again this week in Childish Things, uh, but it's good to know the actress's name and that we'll get to see more of her. And it's so interesting to see, like, obviously it's becoming, you know, clearer and clearer that this is, you know, Bizarro Girl or some version of her. And it's just interesting when, you know, we talk about it in Childish Things, like, just how they're presenting her, like what she's being pumped with, like how Lord is keeping her. And it's just very interesting to see what they're going to do with that because our understanding of Bizarro Girl is so clear. She's from a, a Bizarro world, you know? And it's so it's like, what are they going to do to justify the Bizarro-ness here? Yep. And one more bit of casting news uh, actor Daniel DiMaggio has been cast as young Kal-El. Um, he'll be appearing in an episode called For the Girl Who Has Everything on February 8th. And just by that title, I'm kind of like, I'm feeling like she, like Kara will be given something, you know, where she'd be able to see younger him. <laughs> yeah, it's it sounds like it's based on a comic book story and also a Justice League Unlimited. I think it was in Justice League Unlimited, not Justice League uh, episode that has a similar title. I think it's like for the man who has everything. And mm -hmm. um, in the, in that story, Superman is uh, kind of attacked by this thing that gives him the ability to see like a what if where he's on Krypton, he's married to Lois, he has a kid, 
Um, Krypton is all good. You know, everything is just like the best for Superman. And um, so I have a feeling that this episode may play on that a little bit where we might get a what if for Kara where she might still be on Krypton and she and young mm. Kal-El um, get to hang out and, and know each other. So that I am very much looking forward to. Mm. And for our final bit of news, CBS's Supergirl won the People's Choice Award for Favorite New TV Drama. So so congratulations to everyone involved in the show. And Supergirl fans, make sure to give yourselves a round of applause for all the voting you did. Because that is the only award show where we actually have a voice on who wins the award so <laughs> that's exactly. very very cool and good to see that uh everybody voted for the show and uh get to see them have some recognition well now let's get into our discussion of the season one supergirl episode titled childish things uh here's the official description from cbs quote Kara does her best to support Wynn when his father, the supervillain Toy Man, breaks out of prison and seeks out his son for unknown reasons. Also, Kat offers Lucy a job at Catco, and Alex asks Hank to use his powers to help uncover Maxwell Lord's plans. Lots going on in this episode, um, but the main, I mean, obvious centerpiece is Wynn and uh, dealing with his dad. Um, Rebecca, what did you uh, think about the way that they handled that very special family reunion? Yeah, I thought this was a great episode for Wynn and for Jeremy Jordan. He got a really great chance to shine and uh, give some depth to his character. And I really thought it was a great complicated relationship that he and the toy man had together because it seemed like they did in the past have a good relationship and that Wynn had fun with his father. But that day that his, his father took out some vengeance and um, killed some people was the day that he, he said, I'm not going to be your son anymore. And so I thought that when really struggled with the idea that maybe he did have some genetics that might come into play later on in his life. And he struggles with, you know, I I don't want to bottle things up like my father did because it might come out and explode someday. So I think that's a really interesting thing for when to have to kind of um, deal with in the future. And uh, I liked seeing how Toy Man kind of wanted to (laughs) – he wanted to involve his son back into his life, and he wanted to be there for his son, but he did it in a really crazy, creepy, awful way yeah. where he's like, hey, son, let's be together again, but first, maybe go assassinate this guy for me. So that was a little strange, but I wouldn't have expected anything less from Toy Man. So I thought they had a really complicated, interesting relationship. Oh, definitely. Uh, I mean, I agree. I'm so glad that because, uh, you know, I mean, I've had mixed feelings about Win since the start of this show. Um, there are a couple of episodes where I'm like, oh, yeah, he's a cool guy. And there are other times when I just want to slap him in the face. And I feel like all of that was really well done build up to the win that we get here. Um, I thought that uh, Win had to grow up a lot in this episode. And uh, Jeremy Jordan's performance, I agree with you, was really, really great. It, it it gave him a chance to shine as an actor, but also as a character. Like I was really happy to see Wynn kind of by the end of the episode decide that, you know, taking care of himself is important. I also kind of thought that uh, it was interesting to see 
mental illness kind of handled the way it was in this episode. Like when they're talking about his father, like, you know, even though he's angry with his father and he, he hates what he did to these people, he also understands that, you know, his father is sick and that there was a point when he wasn't like this. And then suddenly he was. Um, and Kara always talks to, you know, talks to him about his dad being sick too. So she's kind of reinforcing the idea that he's not evil. He's not like doing this even necessarily because he wants to, or, you know, it's, it's because he has a problem that needs solving. And I thought it was cool to see Wynn kind of wrestle with that a little bit and, and, and be so afraid of like inheriting that. Cause I know that that's true for a lot of people. Yeah. He definitely, when he encountered his father in that kind of, uh, carnival kind of area where they're all yes, the, like that arcade arcade. Yeah. Yes. Um, I knew a carnival was not the appropriate thing there. Um, but when he approached him, he said, you know, you need to see a doctor. You need yeah. to seek help. So I, I did think that that was nice and sort of humanized him a little bit. It didn't make him such a monster uh, because he wanted to do these things. It was like, well, maybe if he, you know, what if he got help and he could stop doing these things? So, I, yeah, I thought that was an interesting way to approach it. Yeah, and I hope that they they continue that. Like, I hope that this isn't something that they introduce in this episode and then just kind of let it drop. Like, now that when, especially, we'll talk about this later with the, uh, I'm sure, with Wynn and Kara, but, um, like, it, it seems like by the end of the episode, he's decided, okay, like, I need to do what is good for me and my emotions and my mental health. Because, like, so many things I do because of, you know, protecting other people's feelings or worrying about other people. And it's like, you know, sometimes you got to take care of yourself because how can you be any good to anybody else? And he, you know, kind of hurts Kara in the process, but uh, it's something that he kind of needs to do and I think is the most mature thing to do at that point rather than like the usual whining and pining and sighing from afar. It's like, okay, this is how I feel. And, and now I have to be honest with the fact that I can't just pretend this didn't happen. Oh, for sure. I was really proud of him actually for standing up for himself mm -hmm. and um, kind of being really, really brutally honest with his feelings, no matter what it meant for their relationship going forward. But it was good to see that he decided that he wasn't going to hold his feelings in anymore. And, and I think you're right. I think it's, it's good to see someone kind of decide, hey, this is, this is what's good for me and I, I need to do this for myself. Because sometimes totally. that is something that, you know, you have to do. And yeah, let's talk about the toy man because, uh, you know, when, when, I mean, this was a solid episode for him and, uh, we saw him go through a lot of like growth and change just over the course of this episode. Um, I thought this toy man was like frightening in how like chill he was, <laughs> <laughs> if that makes sense. No, it totally um, does. I mean, just because, you know, right off the bat, I mean, the first image we get of him is this, like, yo-yo of death. Um, we know that these guards are scared to go into, you know, feed this one prisoner. And we're like, oh, who is that? And then we see the doll in there and we're like, oh, I know who this is. What's going to happen? And then it's just carnage <laughs> from uh, the second that uh, guard steps in there. And uh, But what I love most about this toy man is that he's – very sincere when he's talking to Win. Like in his, you know, twisted mind, he believes genuinely that this is the best thing for his family. Right. Like he's convinced that the way for them to be together is by killing someone and possibly going to jail together or escaping together. That was one of the creepiest things was like 
either way, whether we escape together or we both go to prison, we'll be together forever. And yeah. it's like, that's the last thing I want, Dad. <laughs> yeah. um, what did you think? I really loved this version of Toy Man. I got really geekily excited about all of the toys that were used, um, especially that that great creepy opening sequence with him breaking out of jail. I loved the doll that sort of sounded like the Superman animated series uh, Toy Man, and that that yo-yo of death it was kind of <laughs> like a like a throwing star. I was like, whoa! Also, who let him have that yo-yo? I don't know. Um, did someone yeah. sneak that in there? Um, but like, he was very toy manish in the way he used his toys. Like he he had that Supergirl with the symbols. I know previously we talked about in our character spotlight about how creepy those like monkeys with the symbols. Oh yeah, are and and to use Supergirl in that way was even creepier because he was going after her with it. Um, the fact that he used a decoy was very toy man. And I, I got really excited about that. I was like, Toy Man uses that all the time. So that was good to see. So I really I really liked seeing the use of the toys um, in this episode. And I thought the backstory they gave him was very faithful to the source material. I thought it was um, interesting that they used Chester Dunholz because he's a character uh, in DC Comics from like the Golden Silver Age and he was actually a neighborhood bully of Winslow Shots. So it was kind of cool mm. that they pulled this character out of obscurity, which I think these shows do such a good job with. They, they, they pull these characters that nobody remembers and kind of puts them into the forefront to uh, kind of round out a backstory. So it was, it was neat to see them use him and then the whole aspect of Toy Man's boss stealing his toy designs and that Toy Man sent a bomb inside of a teddy bear to kill his boss like that was something we had also talked about uh, on our character spotlight the the version of toy man where like after his wife dies winslow you know he sells his toy store and then finds out that his mechanical toy designs have been sold to weapons manufacturers and when he can't get his toy back he sends a teddy bear to the man who lied to him and all that kind of stuff so that was very similar to the source source material and so i just i thought they did a really good job of incorporating all of that stuff into his character and even like i got so excited when they showed uh the toy that toy man had sent when at work he he sent him a jack nimble toy that had that jack nimble toy man design i didn't even realize that yeah so i was like this is great this is like all of the toy man stuff in this episode so i that's amazing i thought um what they did with toy man was was awesome i loved that when he breaks out of jail he puts on those um kind of uh circular the the sunglasses Yeah. yeah that that's very toy man so um i thought they did a great job with just making his version of the character encompassing all of these other different versions and kind of making them one thing and i uh i love your idea that he was very chill like he was he was quiet in yeah. some, in some respects and i think that makes it so much scarier you know when i think of like voldemort from the harry potter movies or voldemort um yeah. he is very quiet and so mm-hmm. some of the best villains they don't yell they don't scream oh they no just, they just that makes it creepier. Yeah, because they, they already know they're going to kill you. It's just a matter of time, and right. they're, they can wait. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh my God. It, yeah, it's super creepy. And, yeah, I, I agree with you. That image with the sunglasses when he first, you know, is walking down the hallway 
after he's escaped. I'm like, that was such a great comic book image. Yes. Um, and again, just going back to their relationship a little bit, like I love the conflict on Wynn's end because on the one hand, you know, he hates his father for what he did. And on the other hand, it's still his dad and he doesn't want him to die. He wants him to get help. Right. Um, and then on the side of the toy man, like he loves his son and clearly on some level thinks this is going to bring them together. But if his son has to die, that's okay too. Oh, like well. he, he's kind of like, well, you didn't listen to me. So right. like watching him be so blase about things like death is, is really what makes him frightening. Although the one thing I have to say, and I mean, maybe you know more about quicksand than I do, but uh, I kind of didn't <laughs> I don't buy know about that. <laughs> Supergirl getting stuck in quicksand. Like, cause first of all, from what I understand, the way that they portray quicksand in movies is generally not how it works. Um, in real life, but be that as it may, since this is a TV show, um, wouldn't Supergirl just be strong enough to fly herself out and not get sucked back down into the quicksand? I think that's probably true. Um, I don't know much about how quicksand works. Um, maybe it was a special quicksand that Toy Man created, which is, was kind of a weird thing for Toy Man to be dealing with anyway, because... Why yeah, would... and he was like, it's heat activated, like something he put in it. Like, so she couldn't use her heat vision, but I'm like, that doesn't mean she can't just fly out of it. Like, yeah. and eventually she freezes it and, and cracks it, you know, like ice and that's fine. But like, I'm really surprised that tripped her up to begin with. Like, why are you stuck in quicksand? You're Supergirl. Yeah, it looked like she tried to get out of it. Like she was kind of trying to force her way out of it so whatever it was it must have been more powerful than her but yeah I I think that was a a really strange way to try to stump her but I guess when you have a character like Supergirl where she has so many powers it's hard to (laughs) throw obstacles in her way but yeah I think a lot of people had issues with the quicksand oh and also I want to know, he just broke out of prison. When did he have time to make all these Supergirl dolls? Like, he just happens to have them lying around. uh, And all of these toys with bombs in them and stuff, did they just, did he just leave them from from before he went to prison? Like, or is he just really, really fast? He could be a fast toy maker. Or maybe (laughs) he had a lot of parts laying around in a storage compartment somewhere. Yeah. And, like, setting up the gas at the arcade for the FBI, I was just like, how do you have time to set – you just got out of prison. How do you have time to set up elephants with poisonous gas leaking into an arcade to take <laughs> out a whole – I'm just – he's a master of time, clearly. Yeah, well, he must not sleep. He's just well, working 24-7. But uh, let's talk about Wynn and Kara because that obviously has a, a lot to do with – how the episode turned out. Um, so basically when at the end of the episode, after Kara has been comforting him uh, regarding his feelings for his dad, she's kind of been his shoulder to cry on. And at one point in her apartment when, you know, he, she's reminding him and actually making a really good point that like, he's nothing like his father because the worst thing has already happened to him. His world has been destroyed by his father being who he is and he's chosen to help people. So if he was going to crack, he would have cracked already. So I thought that was a really great point for Kara to make uh, to him. But, you know, so she comforts him and he kisses her and immediately regrets it because she pulls away and it's very awkward. And it's like, oh, I was just trying to be your friend. Yeah. Why? <laughs> um, and, and that situation isn't good for either participant because, you know, clearly he wants to leave. He's so embarrassed. He can't stand to be there. And she's 
embarrassed for him and like wants to stay his friend but doesn't know how to handle it and it's all very awkward um and then at the end he finally confesses his feelings for her um and it's very simple and straightforward i'm in love with you been in love with you and you know she basically just wants to go back to ordering pot stickers and uh and have the friendship that they had but that's not really realistic right now for him Let's talk a little bit about that and how you think all of that was handled. I actually really liked Kara in this episode because after the last episode where I had huge issues with Kara and how she dealt with things, I think this Mm -hmm. episode did a lot to make it up to me (laughs) in in terms of the Supergirl character. So I was glad to see Kara actually try to be there for someone else. And she kind of was there with Wynn the entire time. Like she kind of went along with Cameron Chase and her agents to go and be there as a moral support for him and helped, you know, rescue him when he needed it. And all the way through the episode, she was there for him. And I thought she was saying a lot of really sweet stuff to him. And I think that's what kind of made him think that he could kiss her because, you know, like I get why he did it. Um, but as, as soon as he did, it, I was like, Oh no, when you shouldn't have done that. That is weird. Um, because at some point you have to realize, you know, what if she didn't want you to kiss her? Um, but right. I, but I, I appreciated that as soon as he realized it was not something he should have done, he got up and left. And um, I think that was a good choice for him that, so that he didn't make things weird and awkward, even though eventually they did become weird and awkward. Um, but I liked that he wasn't going to hold back with her anymore. And I do think it's, It's going to be interesting to see what happens with them moving forward because when she sees him at the office later on at the the end of the episode, she says, you know, what does this mean for us? And he says, I don't know. So who knows what that does mean? I mean, I don't know. I don't know that you can go back and just hang out like you did before. Yeah. I think something that like overall in the past couple of episodes I've noticed, and this was another example of that, is that a lesson that seems to be coming back around over and over is that you can't expect people to respond to something necessarily the way you would. Yeah. Um, and like, so in this case, you know, Kara would be totally happy just going back to the way things were. Of course she would, because she's not the one who has had their heart broken, you know, like it's easier for her to be like, let's just go back to being friends. Meanwhile, every day he looks at her knowing that she knows he loves her And she doesn't feel the same way. And so it's like every time he looks at her, his heart breaks a little more, you know? It's like how how can you, you know, kind of be friends or or, or be friends in the same way rather knowing that that's the case. So it's interesting to see that, you know, that happened to her. I also thought it was interesting the little side plot between uh, Lucy and James because Kat has offered Lucy a job as her general counsel, knowing that Lucy's probably going crazy without some kind of work to do. <laughs> and, uh, you know, offers her this job. And so Lucy goes to James and is like, you know, should I take it? What do you think? And James doesn't seem thrilled. Like, he's like, yeah, you should take it if it makes you happy, but isn't like, yeah, that's great. What a great opportunity. And she kind of interprets that as, oh, he thinks I'm going to, like, cramp his style. He doesn't want to be me in his, you know, he doesn't want me in his office, like, around him all the time. But it had nothing to do with that at all. He was thinking about how dissatisfied he is with his job. 
so like here she is thinking that it's all about this one thing and it's really about something else entirely. And so like you can't always like know how people are going to handle things or they're not always going to react to things the way you expect them to. And if you care about them, that has to be okay. Like you have to allow for the fact that even the people who are very close to you are going to like see things in a completely different way than you do. Yeah. And I like that it showed in both of those relationships that they were willing to talk about things and that they were Mm -hmm. willing to, you know, ask questions and get things out in the open. And I thought both of the stories between those two, I don't want to say couples, but those two characters, you know, well, between the four of the characters. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I I liked that they were um, very mature. It was handled very maturely, I thought. Definitely. Um, So I I really liked seeing all of that. I I think I said this in my uh, recap over at the Mary Sue um, about Lucy and James. I'm like, I love how sane and, like, balanced and together they are. Like, that's that's one of the things that I'm learning about that couple is that I really am rooting for James and Lucy uh, at the end of the day because, like, they are they really are good together. Like whatever problems they they might have had coming into this, like they talk to each other and they have each other's back. And James always treats Lucy like, you know, with respect and with like, you know, he values her opinion. He wants her to be happy. She wants the same for him. Like so I'm like totally shipping them. And it's <laughs> and uh it's a shame that uh, you know, now Wynn's kind of grown up. And Lucy and James are handling things in a very mature way, which leaves Kara kind of still stuck in this, you know, pining mode. So, you know, her husband can't get here fast enough. (laughs) (laughs) Melissa Benoist's husband needs to get here but quick to take her out of this mindset of like teenage girl angst because um, she's the only one left now that has like those, oh, feelings. Yeah, they're and, they're clearly still trying to set up this love triangle between James, Lucy, and Kara. And I kind of hate that because at some point a, a couple of episodes ago, it seemed like Kara and Lucy were pretty cool with each other. And I guess yeah. Kara still has these like residual feelings for James that she's not willing to acknowledge, even though Cat Grant totally knows the number on that. Yeah, But, yeah, I kind of don't like that they're playing up that love triangle because I do like James and Lucy because they do support each other. And I was really actually kind of surprised that the end result of their, like, tension was that James wanted to be out in the field with the camera more. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. that's his problem. That was actually really refreshing. So I'm... I'm hoping that we won't see a whole lot of that teenage angst, but maybe uh, yeah. maybe something will be coming for Kara to kind of take her away from that. Um, now, we with the Wynn storyline came a uh, an awesome guest star that we were excited about. Finally, we see the arrival of Emma Caulfield as Cameron Chase. Um, what did you think about, uh, and since I know you were really excited about it, having read the graphic novel, how do you think they handled uh, Agent Chase uh, and how do you think it compared to the comic? On a superficial level, I have to say I was a little disappointed that she didn't have blonde hair because that's how <laughs> I would have recognized her. Um, and I do think some of that, even though some of that's a little, that might be a silly thing to say, but 
I also think, you know, this is the first time anybody's ever portrayed her in live action, to my knowledge. So I kind of would have wanted it to be a little more faithful to what I know about her from the comics. But I did like that she was really no nonsense. Like, she was not putting up with anybody's crap. She, yep. she was getting down to business. Whatever it took to get the mission done, the job done, she was doing it. Um, so I did like the way she was presented and the way she kind of carried herself in the episode. So I really hope we get to see more of her because we didn't really get a lot of her backstory or any kind of characterization from her. It was basically just her handling the toy man situation. So I hope we get to see more of what makes her tick, maybe some backstory on her dad, some of those kinds of things, maybe an introduction into her ability if they ever want to throw that in the mix. But bottom line, I just, I would like to see more of her. Definitely. I mean, I think if this is the only time we're going to see Cameron Chase, then I thought it was a waste. But if this is setting up a recurring thing where she might come back for cases or or eventually maybe help the DEO more or something. I don't know. But, um, you know, then it was a great introduction to the character. Yeah. And yeah, I, I kind of agree with you to a certain extent about the hair, too, because, you know, especially since comics are a visual medium, so is television. Um, if it's the first time you're introducing a character, you'd want to introduce their most iconic look before you start playing around with it. But, you know, and since Emma Caulfield is you know, blonde anyway, as well, right? Like, is yeah. she, I don't know if she's a natural blonde. I thought she was, but in any case, uh, I loved her portrayal. And I did love that, you know, even though she was wrong about Wynn in the sense that, like, you know, she kind of thought he was working with his father. Right. Um, and like protecting him for that reason. And uh, so even though she was kind of wrong about that, she was still right that there was a connection. And, you know, so it showed her to be, you know, very competent. She wasn't wrong. She was just kind of wrong about the motivation behind it. Um, and uh, so I would like to see more of her. Um, I also thought it was pretty funny. And this is more about, like, character work for Kara. But um, when Kara was accompanying her on the uh, the sting operation and, you know, Kara is kind of standing there as if she is uh, with the DEO. Yeah. Like she's she's <laughs> kind of there like as she's as if she's on a mission, but she's dressed as, as you know, Kara Danvers. And, you know, every time she's about ready to like jump into action, Cameron Chase is like, hey, we can't keep watching you. Just like stay out of trouble. And we'll take care of it. Leave it to the professionals. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When the agents were leaving the truck, Kara like jumps out. She's like, "Let's go." Let's it's like, go. Like, <laughs> who are you? Yeah. <laughs> what are you gonna do? Like, you're you're Wynn's friend. You stay right here. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, that was and pretty funny. Yeah. No, I thought it was a great intro. I hope we use her more because I'd hate to think that Emma Caulfield was like somebody of Emma Caulfield's talent and and you know recognition was used like. For this, and that's it, you know? Right, right, right. I, I, I would imagine they have other plans for her, so. And now here's this, okay, now we're going to get into the stuff that kind of makes me mad a little bit, because we have to talk about uh, Alex and Martian Manhunter and Maxwell Lord and that whole business. Um, investigating Room 52, which is where Maxwell Lord has uh, the the artist soon to be known as Bizarro Girl held... <laughs> And so let's talk about that before I get to what made me so mad. Well, with Martian Manhunter, I'm glad that Alex and Kara are trying to encourage him to use his abilities and be his true self. Because I think there is a point 
where that will make him a little happier. And it was nice to see like Supergirl and Martian Manhunter flying together. And what made, oh, that was so great. What made me so giddy about that scene was that Kara is the one who's focusing in on this is so fun. Isn't this great? And Martian Manhunter is all, you know, I, I want to teach you proper flight technique. Like he's he's just, you know, down to business. All but, business, yeah. Uh, I liked the positive aspect of that, that they're trying to get him to do things that he can do that only he can do. Like he has this enormous list of abilities that he can do and he can help in those situations. But it also sort of worries me, and I think it worries Jean, that some of his abilities can do bad things. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it kind of concerned me that he wiped somebody's memory and it was not just like their memory of five minutes ago. It was like permanently affecting this guy's memory and he can't remember his wife and kid. Like that's serious. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, and that really kind of disappointed me in the character, but I also think he was wanting to prevent that but he almost felt like he had to do it in a in a weird way and I was a little confused by that because my knowledge of Martian Manhunter is that I'm pretty sure he could couldn't he read the guy's mind instead of just wiping his memory like I was really confused by that well because he had been seen right so he wouldn't want somebody reporting that he was there right after he'd already changed shapes so like I think he needed to wipe his memory to keep the guy from identifying him without killing him. Okay, that's, um, a, that's a good point. My thing was, why was he shape-shifting in the first place? Um, like, couldn't he stay Maxwell Lord the whole time and just kick the guy's butt and then, yeah. you know, leave? Um, so I thought that was just kind of dumb. <laughs> yeah. It was weird. Like, why would you – I mean, unless – I mean, he sort of alluded to the fact that, like, every time he – changes shape it's harder to come back right um or every time he goes to his true self it's harder to come back so there might be an issue with he can only stay in it for so long or i don't know what the what rules they're playing with here um but yeah i i loved that flight scene in the beginning uh it was so great and and i kind of like watching him kind of still stay a little bit curmudgeonly yeah. even his car is like this is so fun what does annoy me is that uh, just like in the uh, previous episode where Kat is badgering Kara to tell her that she's Supergirl, now Alex is badgering Jean Jones to use his powers. Like, it's like, let let the people with powers decide how they want to handle it, okay? Like, it's not anybody else's business or job to tell them how to superhero. Yeah. And... You know, it's like because Alex didn't know this, like, you know, Martian Manhunter has these abilities, but they do cause harm and he has to be very careful. And he does, you know, as he tells her, he has experience where he tried being himself and it was 50 years of being hunted. Yeah. And how he became Hank Henshaw in the first place was because people were coming after him. So he tried that and it didn't work and people weren't trusting. And he brought up a good point in that people like Supergirl because she looks like us. You know, Kryptonians don't look weird. Um, they have superpowers, but they still. she looks like a, a blonde cheerleader, as yeah. you put it. Um, but he looks like a big green monster, for lack of a better word. And uh, he's rightfully concerned that people might not take well to him. 
So Alex needed needed to let up, and every time she brought it up, I was like, "No, we leave him alone. Just leave him alone. <laughs> let him do what he wants." Because you're lucky he doesn't kill you right now. Like, relax. I think by the end of the episode, she realized maybe she pushed him a little too hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm glad she came to that realization. I was I was very happy to see that because. And I think it's an interesting point that you make about how, like, the the rules of how, you know, if he shapeshifts into somebody, it's harder for him to come out of it and all that kind of stuff and how he's concerned about that. But in the previous episode, he didn't seem to have any problems shapeshifting into Supergirl to try to trick Cat Grant. So I... Well, maybe he wouldn't have a problem staying Supergirl if he had to. Well, that's probably true, too. If I get stuck like this, that's not that bad. (laughs) I get to look like Melissa Benoist for the rest of my life. That's true. And if he turned into Maxwell Lord, he might have a little harder time with that. Exactly. Because he was hilariously bad as Maxwell Lord. Oh, Uh, but that... Watching... Peter Facinelli do an impression of David Harewood doing an impression of Peter Facinelli was hilarious. And I loved that moment. That was like three levels deep. And I rewatched that part because just before that, there's his uh, Maxwell Lord's dinner scene with Alex. So I was listening to his voice then and then listening to his voice as Martian Manhunter playing him. And it was like just listening to him try to do the deep David Harewood voice was like, it was so great. I loved it. But the thing that upset me about this, and I'll just get right into it. <laughs> get to it. No, well, it's because, you know, obviously the ending was kind of a big shocker in that, you know, so when all is said and done and Alex and Kara are on the couch watching movies and eating pizza and Alex is talking about having had dinner with Maxwell Lord and we see that he's put a camera on her purse and he's now able to watch them and he now knows that, Kara is Alex's sister. Right. Which, okay, when she first shows up to dinner, they are clearly doing this, like, cat and mouse, like, I'm here, but I don't quite trust you. Like, neither one of them looked like they trusted the other. Right. And they were both just, like, kind of eyeballing each other from the side, like, all right, well, we'll see. So I don't understand why she would ever leave her purse alone <laughs> for a long enough time to have a camera on it. Like, and she's she's talking about, you know, seeing things coming a mile away. And I'm like, I believe that she would. And I believe that this moment kind of undermined Alex yeah. for me. Um, because she would see that coming a mile away. And she would never, like, let her, like, even to go to the bathroom, she'd be like, I'm taking my purse. Like, I'm not going <laughs> to mess with my purse. Um, so, uh, and I just thought, like, it was unnecessary considering, like, you know, the, she was going on this, quote, date to allow Jean the opportunity to go into lore technologies. I'm like, why couldn't, you know, if Max wanted to get surveillance on Alex, it's not like her apartment is a secret, you know, like it's not like she's, unless it is, I mean, I don't know, like what, you know, her, her regular records say about her versus like DEO records. But, um, you know, he could have easily put something in her house or put something, I don't know, or had somebody tail her. I don't know. But like, I don't know. I just didn't buy that the camera would have happened as observant as Alex is. And that kind of really made me upset because I was like, that was too easy. Like that, for someone as smart as she is and as as good an agent as she is, I was like, no, that would not happen. (laughs) Well, and I would have thought the exact opposite of what happened, that Alex would have been the one to bug Maxwell Lord. 
that's <laughs> that's what I would have expected to happen, that she would be the one to be able to plant something in his office or something on his person. So, yeah, I do agree that it sort of downplays her ability as an agent to see things coming and to be smart about those kinds of situations. Cause she's probably gone undercover before. Oh yeah. This, this is probably <laughs> not something new to her. So, and, and, and I would think that she would be trained in this kind of thing. So I, yeah, that is a little bit disappointing. And also I'm just getting so sick of Maxwell Lord already. Like, like the, and, and just the fact that he's like talking to himself as he's watching this. And I know that that's a villain thing. Like, Ah, sisters, how sweet. Like, <laughs> like, who are you talking to? You're by yourself. Shut up. But um, his fixation on Supergirl and, like, taking her down has become annoying to me. Like, I just want whatever's going to happen with Maxwell Lord to happen so we can be done with him and move on because I can't. I, I can't handle his stupid face anymore. And to think, I, I used to think he was the hot one. I used to think he was going to be interesting. <laughs> and I was all team Maxwell Lord at the beginning and now I'm just like ugh can you just go away well my problem with the scene at the end where he finds out that they are sisters is that I got a little upset about the cat thing again because I was like now wait a minute why is it okay that Maxwell Lord knows who Supergirl is but Cat Grant can't know right so I have a feeling that maybe this will be bad news for Maxwell Lord because I don't know, in some superhero shows, like I remember it happened in Smallville quite a bit, where someone would find out Clark's abilities, and then they would die a couple episodes later, or like (laughs) a season later or something. Like um, anybody who who got to know who he really was, you know, they wouldn't have to keep that secret because they would be killed off. So (laughs) I have a feeling that Maxwell Lord probably won't be able to know this secret for very long. But I am interested to see how he handles it because I think like Cat, he would understand that that information is precious and mm-hmm. that he could use it to his advantage. So um, I, I'm, I'm curious as to how that affects what he does with this bizarro uh, chick that he has in his custody. So I, I, I had issues with the reveal that he knows too, but maybe it will make for some interesting drama moving forward. So, I mean... Overall thoughts about the episode and what are the things that you're most excited about pursuing as the show goes on from here? I really love Toy Man. I thought he was great. Uh, I'm excited about what this means for Wynn. Um, and even the Carl Wynn situation, I'm kind of interested in that now. And uh, <laughs> the Lucy thing made me laugh because she and Kat had a really fun dynamic in this episode where they actually talked about Lois and um, the cat even said something like, you know, that she and Lois are dear friends for longer than Lois would like to admit. Um, mm. And they had they had a really fun talk about um, Lois. And, and I'm, I'm interested to in seeing how this Lucy working at Catco thing will work out. And I thought it was funny in terms of Cat. Well, not funny, haha. But like, she seems to, in just a few sentences, with just a few words, is able to mentor people. Like in just that one scene with Lucy, she says a whole bunch of stuff um, about Lucy and kind of knows who she is, and it sort of relates back to probably something that happened in Cat's life and her past. And then it turns Lucy into being like can I have a job here? Like, you know, yeah. all of the things that Kat says to her makes her want to work for Catco. So I really liked that stuff. And I'm interested to seeing what Lucy working at Catco means for everyone. 
And uh, I'm just uh, excited to see what moves forward from this episode, because this episode for me was a lot better than the last episode. Oh, yes. I I felt like I liked the characters again. I felt okay with what was happening with the dynamics between the characters. I thought Supergirl was very heroic. I liked seeing even... Despite the quicksand thing, I liked seeing some of the uses of her powers, like her super breath. Even though using the super breath to stop the bombs and then the glass breaking, I was like, wouldn't that still hurt people? But that I'm not trying to overthink it. Um, <laughs> but Oh, see, it's funny because I, I thought of it like – because she called everybody behind her. She was like, everybody stand behind me. And she was going to like freeze that whole side of the floor. But how do you know in like a con setting like that you got everybody on this side? Like you, like, you know, it's like, well, maybe she's using her x-ray vision. Uh, hopefully, but they didn't really show that, so I'm just kind of assuming she did. Right. Um, that you're not freezing somebody in a block of ice when you do that. So when she, you know, it explodes and she cracks, and it, you know, it cracks into a big block of ice. You know, there could have been somebody in there. Yeah. But whatever. Don't don't overthink it. Don't <laughs> don't overthink it. it. I'm not. I'm. I'm. Hey. She kept the bombs from doing more damage, which I think ultimately is. The, th- the effect you're going for. Like, even if somebody were in there, it's like it's w- weighing that against, you know, the bombs going off and the building collapsing and more people dying. So yeah. it's like one of those tough calls that's like, you know what? In the heat of the moment, when you have two seconds till the bomb goes off, you do the best you can. Right, right. Yeah. So overall, for this episode, much improved from the last one. And I'm excited about what happens next. Definitely. Me too. Now, I I loved this episode. Um, It allowed Supergirl to be heroic, but in a way that was very personal. Like, I love that it was very Wynn-centric, this episode. Like, it was somebody who's a close friend to her. Um, Because I felt like a lot of the time, like, her saving buildings and blah, 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 like, it starts to get very abstract. And it's just like, oh, yeah, she's being a superhero again. She does that all the time. And it uh, it's like the more you do that, the, the less emotional resonance it has. Whereas like if you bring it close to home and it's like, okay, now she's in a situation where she has to save someone she cares about, then it's like that's when the stakes are really high and there's actually a, a name to the face. You know, it's not just some random national city resident that she's saving. It's <laughs> yeah. like it's win. So I loved seeing that. Uh, I do hope that they pursue these issues with win uh, in a, a – in an in-depth way, um, that it's not just kind of brushed under the rug, that he's dealing with this struggle of possibly inheriting mental illness from his dad. Like, I hope that that's something that we see him deal with over time. I do love the budding friendship between Kat and Lucy. I want (laughs) to see them get up to all sorts of hijinks together. And uh, I do think that lately, um, and I I, I was, uh, one of the things that I want to follow after this episode is, James wanting to go back into photojournalism because I think that uh, especially now that we've had this episode that has been that was so win focused, I feel like everybody now has gotten a really, you know, how do I put this? They've gotten like very nuanced, except for James. Like James, up until this point, has really been all about Supergirl, and you'll get slivers of James like and his personal feelings. But like I think with him going into the photojournalism and being truer to who he is will allow for him to be a more complete character and a complete person. And uh, hopefully we'll get to see him kind of do more. Cause I always feel like he's, he's kind of shoved to the background a little bit. I actually feel the same way. I would like to see more from James doing things. A lot of times mm-hmm. he's just talking 
about yeah. things. Um, so I would definitely like to see some sort of uh, character-centric episode for James. But yeah, I think we, we both agree that Childish Things was a, a really successful episode, definitely better than the last one. And uh, I think that's going to do it for our discussion this week. Um, but let's l- listen to what some of our listeners had to say about Childish Things. At Will Montgomer 14 tweeted, that was the type of episode you ruminate on. Poor Win, sad face. Yeah, mm. we definitely need to ruminate on it some more. <laughs> um, <laughs> at US underscore TV underscore Attic tweeted, love the fact that Ma- on Maxwell Lord's phone, Alex Danvers is called Matahari. But then she was dumb and let him bug her. And yeah, mm. I actually, um, I had heard the the name Matahari before, but I had to look her up because I yeah, wasn't yeah. totally familiar about the context, but Matahari was actually an exotic dancer and a courtesan who uh, was convicted of being a spy and executed by firing squad in France under charges of espionage for uh, Germany during World War II. So, so Matahari... World War One. World War One. Sorry. Yeah. Totally different war. <laughs> so, yes. totally, totally said that wrong. Um, but I think that's really interesting because I think that says a lot about what Maxwell Lord thinks of Alex. That she, that maybe in his mind, she's the the spy who uh, could go either way for either side, and um, it definitely shows that he doesn't think m- many positive thoughts about her. Yeah, and no, I'm I'm glad that this viewer. Uh saw that because yeah it's and it's not only that he thinks she's a spy but that she's getting by on her looks mm. um that she's seducing him into giving him giving her information like so on some level he's attracted to her because he looks at alex and he thinks exotic dancer and courtesan um so she's really really pretty but i can't fall for it because she's a spy um so that also might point to some conflict in uh in Maxwell as well, because he probably wants to like her. Um, he, you know, there's on some level he he's attracted to her. He wishes that he could pursue her, but he has to keep himself in check because he's trying to protect his efforts to take down Supergirl and make the world safe from aliens or whatever the hell he's trying to do. <laughs> Good point. Well, at Anakin Flores is tweeted. No, I'm just recovering from the shock of identity with Kat, and now Max knows. <laughs> yeah, I was shocked that back-to-back episode we had uh, reveals of secret <laughs> identities and uh, taking away of secret identities. Um, at M. Teeston tweeted, awesome new uses of Kara's powers and some great character development for both Wen and John." At Madtown, Davidson tweeted, loved the episode and amazing job by Jeremy Jordan and the whole cast. I didn't really understand how Supergirl got stuck in quicksand, though. Thank I guess, you. <laughs> I guess I guess it was just really good quicksand. So, yeah, I, I think a lot of people had uh, some problems with that aspect of the episode. At Is High on Life tweeted, this was the best episode of the season by far. When Lucy and Maxwell all advanced their storylines. At BreeQuinn23 tweeted, so many emotions, poor win times 10. And that ending scene with the Danvers sisters and Max Lord, the spy. Great episode. Uh-huh. At Craig R. MacD tweeted, fun episode. Love the flying scene with Kara and Jean. Really got caught off guard by that ending. At Mr. J's Comic Review tweeted, best episode of the season so far, and Jeremy Jordan definitely gets my vote for episode MVP, and I agree Mm -hmm. with that. At WT Fangirl Blog tweeted, mixed feelings about this episode, though I don't know exactly why. I love David Harewood, though. He's great in this role. 
Um, and just to catch up from last week, somehow when I was collecting the tweets, I missed this one about blood bonds. So uh, I figured we catch up with at Mark HBPWM, who tweeted, like the family stuff with Astra, disappointed that Cat Nose was in the end cheesy cliffhanger bait. So I just wanted to throw that tweet in about blood bonds since we missed it last week. And we actually had a lot of email feedback after blood bonds. Um, people like hearing us mad, I guess. Um, <laughs> Especially in regard to Kara and John tricking Cat Grant to maintain the Supergirl secret identity. Uh, one email that we got was from Gregory, who writes, quote, Regarding Cat and Kara, my heart was shattered to see that my favorite part of Hostile Takeover had been undone. I feel like Cat has been done a disservice for being lied to by Kara while using John as a body double. Kara should have trusted Kat to know the truth, while at the same time, Kat should not have bothered Kara about it every second of the day. And now, finally, Supergirl knows who Jean Jones is. I just wish that Kara had not used him to lie to Kat. Um, one of the highlights of that, um, I mean, I hated the whole lying to Kat, but the, the fact that Supergirl knows who Jean Jones is, I love that they can bond over being aliens together, pretty yeah. much. Well, we have another email from a listener named Velcro who wrote, quote, I felt that you guys were too hard on the last episode of Supergirl, particularly regarding the anti-reveal of Supergirl's identity to Kat. I feel that the show could have done better on its writing, but in my opinion, I felt that their mistake was having Kat find out too soon, unquote. And after giving it some thought, Velcro, I kind of wish they had played the Kat aspect of this show kind of like Perry White where like you're pretty sure that Perry knows but Perry never acknowledges that he knows that Clark is Superman but like you per you're pretty sure that it, that he is aware of what's happening and so my thought after giving it uh, a little more consideration I do think the writing could have been better like maybe they could have shown that Kat was like accumulating evidence and like you know she, maybe show her by herself kind of writing <laughs> things down or kind of making notes or whatever but like never addressing it with Carl like that I think that maybe would have made it a little better for me if maybe Kat had just been shown to probably know and like we were in on the secret that she knew but she wasn't addressing it with Kara at this point so I don't know I but I do agree that it could have probably been done a little better my ultimate big problem was you know if if Kara's denying it why couldn't Kat just have been like okay you're not Supergirl and just walk away yeah <laughs> totally believing 100% that she's Supergirl was like okay that's how you want to play it fine you're not Supergirl all right sure see you later <laughs> They could have done it like, that way too. And like let Kara stew in it. Like, wait, does she mean that or is she <laughs> kidding? And then just never address it again. Like yeah. that would have been fine. I would have her... been cool with that too. Well, Red5 wrote to us and said, quote, what they should have done and could still do is have Kat realize that she was wrong. Not about Kara being Supergirl, but about firing Kara. Cat should have realized that Supergirl needs to be Kara Danvers sometimes and uh, swallowed her pride by pretending to be fooled by the Martian Manhunter. Uh, sure, it still means that Kara tried to trick Cat, but at least it rescues the reputation of the Cat Grant character. This time around, it's Kara probing Cat to see if she knows the secret while Cat plays coy. Um, yeah, which is kind of a variation on what we we're, you know, just talking about. Like, kind of, we know Cat knows. But Kara doesn't have to know Cat knows. Yeah. Um, which I think is the best of all possible Scenarios, worlds, I think. Yeah. 
Well, Red5, who I, whose email I read earlier, also writes, quote, You might be interested to know that not too long after Superman first appeared in 1938, Jerry Siegel wanted to let Lois Lane discover Clark's secret and submitted a script to that effect. DC editor Mort Weisinger vetoed the idea. Seems like even back in the golden age, the absolute secret identity was a trope that the writers wanted to get rid of, end quote. Yeah, Um, I actually did know about this um, a long time ago, a couple years ago, maybe about five years ago. I remember seeing an article written up about this situation with um, Jerry Siegel and Lois Lane and Clark Kent's identity. Um, but I, I somehow lost the link. I think I must've changed my computers or something. I didn't, you know, retain that link from my bookmarks or something. I lost the link and I, I cannot find that story, uh, to this day. Um, so I'm glad that someone else saw that. So I'm not crazy for thinking (laughs) that that was a thing. So red five, if you do have a link to where that information is, please email supergirlradio at gmail.com because I would like to have that as a reference uh, for the future because I, I was aware of that, but I just, I can't find the source of where I read that. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a cool idea that, you know, they never really wanted to have the secret identity in the first place, um, but it was something that managed to get in there. Ed writes in saying, quote, remember that when Kat first found out that Supergirl is Superman's cousin, she broadcast that fact to the world. They've come a long way since, but perhaps Kara is still wary of her and thinks that if she confirms that she is Supergirl, that will be tomorrow's headline. Kat won't forget her reasons for the suspicions, and she probably realizes that Supergirl can also pull off the trick of seeming to be two people at once. I don't think she's completely dismissed the idea. I think Kara and Kat will become more trusting of each other and maybe something will occur to help that along and then she will be let in on the secret, unquote. And um, I think when initially when Kat found out that Supergirl was Superman's cousin, it was that was a new scoop for her. That was a story. And that I think you know, as a journalist and a newswoman, she wanted to get that out. That was a scoop for her. But I think when she found out that Supergirl and Kara were the same person, like her assistant was Supergirl, I think that puts it on a more personal, intimate basis. And I think that made it so that she maybe would have taken more time with it. And I think we even got something sort of similar like that in Childish Things when yes. uh, Kat finds out that when, and it kind of was kind of laughing, like, did nobody make the connection of when shot being related to Winslow shot? Like, nobody connected that? It was weird. Um, uh, and it was weird because she mentioned it, too. She was like, well, maybe change your last name. And it's like, well, then you didn't need anybody to tell you, did you? Yeah, was- like, <laughs> if, if you're, you know, if you want him to change his last name, maybe you should have already figured it out on your own. Yeah, that was very bizarre. But when she found out that, okay, this guy who works for me is Toy Man's son, she wanted to get an interview with him. But when Kara said, you know what, he's not doing interviews, end of the story, Kat said, okay, we'll just make sure he doesn't give it to someone else first. So yeah. I Diane thought, Sawyer, who yeah. she hates apparently. Well, and I didn't know that Diane Sawyer, does Diane Sawyer still do that kind of stuff? I don't know. I haven't oh, seen yeah. I mean, I haven't seen a lot of Diane Sawyer interviews lately, so. Well, except for the, I mean, the Caitlyn Jenner thing was the, oh, the latest right. thing. <laughs> I right. mean, pretty, pretty much if you're going to break big news, you go to Diane Sawyer. Like, okay. that's kind of the thing. But um, Sorry, I sold Diane is- Sawyer a little short there. I, t- I totally <laughs> forgot, I totally she's forgot only, about that. She's only one of the biggest names in news, Rebecca, but whatever, <laughs> well, it's fine. I kind of thought maybe she was <laughs> old news. Um, but yeah, no, that's true. The Caitlyn Jenner thing was a big uh, interview. Um but yeah, so I kind of thought that that was interesting that she respected 
Wynn's choice not to be an interview. And I think that's the way she would have handled it with Kara, too. Yeah, no, totally. And I, I was going to bring that up as well, that, uh, you know, we kind of see that whenever it's personal, she's more caring than she lets on. Um, and she actually does care about the people that are around her, much though she pretends like she doesn't. And we also have a listener named John who wrote in to say, quote, I totally agree that it disrespects both Kat and Kara that this secret identity business happened, which I hope will be fodder for future conflicts. And later, there might be uh, there might well be a way for Kara to reveal her identity. Uh, she has to have the agency because it's her show, unquote. And I agree to, uh, about that to an extent because, yes, it is Supergirl's show and she should be able to reveal that information because it's her secret. But I also, like, I think, well, doesn't Kat have some kind of agency? Like, if she finds out that information, why can't she still know it? So I, I'm kind of conflicted on that thought. I'm honestly surprised that she figured it out, not because Kat isn't smart, but because she's usually so self-absorbed that I'm surprised that she was even paying close attention to the details of somebody else's life. In, in talking about this, I prefer the way that Man of Steel handled things because Clark acknowledged that Lois figured it out and she knew the truth, but he said basically, like, it's up to you and whether or not you want to put the story out there. I don't know that the world's ready for this, but you have that information that you are in charge of now and you have the responsibility on whether or not it gets out there to the public. And ultimately it is her decision because she decides not to publish that story and then it becomes Superman's choice to put himself out there and reveal himself to the public. So I think that would have been a great way to play it on Supergirl, but what's done is done. It's funny because they've, as you've pointed out, they've taken so much from Man of Steel already. Um, so <laughs> that would have been know. another great thing to borrow because I think it, it was pretty perfect. And it's true, yeah. It, it's it's a great responsibility, and it would have, like, and and by Lois making that decision to not publish that in Man of Steel, that immediately establishes trust because yeah. you know, okay, she's not the kind of person who's going to publish this. Now I can have one hundred percent complete faith in her. So I feel like that could have been something for for Kara and Kat as well. Like she, you know, Kat would have had the choice to do it or not. She likely would have not put her assistant in that position and she wouldn't have published it. And then Kara could 100% trust Kat. And now it's like they're kind of back to square one in a way. And, and she's like making the old jokes of, oh, nobody likes Kat. Like, really, Lucy? You think she's a nice person? Rah, rah, rah. Like, nobody ever says that. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm like, I, why? I didn't appreciate that. but Yeah, I'm like, why are you going back to that? Like, you've, you've been through so much with Kat. Like, why would you go back to the tired old, oh, Kat Grant is just, oh, she's so difficult. I'm like, oh, God. Um, anyway, uh Another listener by the name of Jay wrote in uh, via email saying, quote, totally disagree with the last podcast. Well, thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, quote, I, for one, don't want to see Kat with that kind of information. Kat is highly intelligent and very business savvy. But as a person, she leaves a lot to be desired. Have you not noticed how she treats people? Kat would manipulate and boss Supergirl around. When would she be off work? Kat has some serious Trump qualities she needs to work on. She's already used one of his most famous lines, you're fired, to bully and get her way. If anyone is teaching how to be better, it's Kara. She's being a mentor to a woman with a lot of emotional baggage. Interesting interpretation of Cat Grant. And it's one I don't necessarily agree with. 
Um, I respect the opinion and that interpretation, but I also think Kat has shown a lot of compassion towards people. She is a good mother. She has shown to care about Leslie Willis and and cares about Kara. She respects uh, Wynn's decision not to be interviewed. She encourages Lucy. She's given James a job. She's, she's done all these things because she cares about all these people. And I don't even think she would have bossed Supergirl around. She even told Supergirl... You need to quit this job because you need to go save people. So right. I, I don't see that as something that would have would have come into play. And I also think that that <laughs> I'm having a hard time with Kara being the one who's teaching her how to be better because I think they both kind of help each other be better. They both, in, Kat and Kara, both encouraged and mentored each other and kind of um, were there for each other to teach teach each other. Th- other things that they probably wouldn't have otherwise. So I don't I don't think it's fair to say that, oh, Kat is this character who has all this emotional baggage and Kara's the only one who, you know, that Kara's been helping her and Kat hasn't been helping Kara. So um, I, I think that's being a little too hard on her and the whole Trump thing. I definitely don't think Kat Grant is very Donald Trump-like. Um, oh God! You're you're, no. you're you're fired is something people say on a daily basis, and that's not something that he, he didn't invent. That that's yeah. not his saying. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's something that came on The Apprentice, but it's not a trademark line from Donald Trump. So I I think saying that she's Donald Trump like is also unfair um, because that's just not how I see it. But uh, thank you for writing in. We appreciate the people who disagreed with us uh, want to share their opinions and listen anyway. So. Thank you oh, for totally. thank you for that. And Tyler wrote in about the politics within the show, comparing Cat Grant to a progressive liberal elitist and Maxwell Lord to a libertarian. He writes, quote, as far as Cat and Kara slash Supergirl occupying the same place in the Cat Co. building while Cat has full knowledge, with Cat being a progressive liberal elitist, she would never have been able to handle someone equal or higher to Cat on the social uh, slash power scale. Even if nobody but Cat and Kara knows it, it's too much for Cat to keep her around. That's the way of the liberal elitist. Cat would have to be quite a bit less elite, more moderate somehow, in order for her to humbly occupy the social power scale with Kara slash Supergirl, uh, unquote. To, to, to say that Cat would not be able to tolerate Supergirl, somebody of Supergirl's power in the same building as her, I mean, I, I don't even know where one would even draw that conclusion, um, especially since everything that Kat has done up until this point has been to mentor Supergirl. And yeah, she's critical of Supergirl, certainly, but she also wants a Supergirl around. Like, even at her at her worst, even at her, like, most, you know, even when she's sniping at, at uh, Supergirl the worst, it's still because she wants a Supergirl to exist. And if a Supergirl exists, she wants her to be the best Supergirl she can be so that she can inspire women. I think that's Something that, uh, and even, you know, Kara and Supergirl have to remind Kat of that, that Kat is a role model. Right. Kat doesn't see herself that way. I mean, she she does on a certain level, but she it, it, I feel like a part of her doesn't really believe it um, because she keeps trying to create the image of Supergirl as this role model that people can look up to and follow. And then, you know, Supergirl reminded her, like, listen, you kept the city together during the earthquake. Like, you're the one that was on the TV that people responded to. Um, when the chips were down, like you were able to be that role model and you inspired me. Um, so Kat on a certain level doesn't 
really understand the or, or she she's insecure about the impact that she has. Um, so I certainly don't see her as an elitist of any kind. I think she might pretend to be. She like, you know, puts on a good show. Yeah. But at the end of the day, she's just as insecure as everybody else. That is very true. Um, now, our last email uh, comes from all the way from across the ocean in Sweden uh, from Ricard, who writes, quote, I really like your podcast, which is kind of funny considering the fact that I disagree with you on so many things, especially when it comes to Cat Grant. That seems to be a common thread. You know, hey, and you know what? <laughs> you can hate Cat all you want, all y'all folks out there. We can find plenty more common ground on this show. Um, anyway, I have a question for you, uh, Ricard writes. I think the relationship between Kara and Alex has been sidelined too much. Do you agree? I came into this show expecting it to be one of the biggest focuses, but it really hasn't been, and I'm kind of disappointed, end quote. I disagree with that a little bit. I think that pretty much like every episode, there's there's a moment of connection for them, you know? I mean, it, it's they can't, you know be up each other's butt crack all the time. Um, I mean, they're sisters. They're not like conjoined twins. Um, but I think that that there's usually the point at every episode in which they check in with each other. And I think that that's very true to life and very real in that like, you know, whether it's on the phone or whether it's in person, they always kind of make sure the other is okay they always kind of uh, ask each other's advice, even if it's very quickly. Like, I'm in the middle of, of a fight. What do you want? Like, <laughs> you know, there's always that moment in every episode where they they advise each other or help each other or are a sounding board for each other. So I don't think it's been sidelined. I think it's just that it's not always going to be the central focus because, you know, how often do you – does anybody talk to their sister? Like it's, you know, even if you talk once a day, it's like once a day among the other things you're doing. So it's, you know, I, I just think it's very real the way that they're handling it. Yeah, I guess I would agree a little bit with Ricard that some of it, I've, I, I did feel that it was a little bit sidelined because uh, in the last couple of episodes, we hadn't really seen much from them. But hmm. uh, but but that's why it was so nice to see that sweet scene at the end with them eating pizza and childish things. So I was glad to see that. And they, you know, imply that that's a weekly thing. Like yeah, she was late yeah, yeah, and Alex yeah. was mad. So you know that and we know that they watch Homeland and we know that they watch Game, Game of, of Thrones. Thrones. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, every week they're watching some kind of show or other. And it's probably something that you and I watch. Well, thank you all for writing uh, emails and sending in your tweets If you want to contact Supergirl Radio, you can email us at supergirlradio at gmail.com. You can post a comment on our website at supergirlradio.com. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at Supergirl Radio. And if you're interested, I actually visited the Warner Brothers studio tour yesterday. Uh, This is Tuesday when I record this um, after Childish Things aired. But uh, on the day that Childish Things aired, I did go to the Warner Brothers studio tour and I took a few pictures of some things I saw. Um, I was so jealous. Yeah, uh, we, we couldn't actually take pictures uh in the sets but I, I did grab a few fun pictures like um we saw the toy block that um was in this episode that actually sucked up supergirl in the quicksand um and it was funny because we didn't know that that might be coming into play on in the episode this week but it did look very toy manish so i had my suspicions uh so we have a picture of that up on the instagram account and i have a picture of the the stage sign that uh, is on the outside of the DEO set. Um, and I actually got, we got to go in the DEO that I wanted to go into Catco, but I think they were shooting in there when we were, uh, on the premises. So, um, 
Couldn't go into CatCo, which I was disappointed by, but the DEO more than made up for it. And I was very struck by how it was more like Batcave-like than I thought <laughs> that, it, that it looks like on the show. I mean, there were actually, when you walked in, there were little parts of the floor that had water in them. And I was like, why is there f- water on the floor of the DEO? Um, but it was, you know, it's more like a, like a cave. Um, so that was interesting because I hadn't really put that together when I was watching the show. And there were a, a little couple of maybe possible spoilers that I came away with. Um, I don't know if it's too spoiler because it's not something I can say yay or nay to confirm. But when we were in the DEO, Kara's Kryptonian ship was not in there. Normally when we've seen it in the past, it was in the DEO that they've kept that ship. But when we were in the DEO on the tour, it was not there. So I don't know where it is now. I don't know if they just took it out because they weren't using it that day. Um, or maybe it's been taken by somebody uh, on the show. (laughs) So I don't know where her ship is, but that we'll see if that, um, comes into play. And they also, the tour guide seemed to think that the fortress of solitude was being built. Um, we drove past this thing that looked like it might be an ice something or other, but, um, I thought that was really interesting because I had not heard anything about the fortress of solitude. So, uh, got some cool pictures and experiences on the Warner brothers studio tour. So if you're ever in LA, I highly recommend you, uh, you go and visit and make sure to tell your tour guide that you want to see Supergirl stuff because it will definitely take you. Oh God. I am, uh. So ashamed of myself. I've been living in L.A. for four years and I have yet to do the WB studio tour. But um, I will now because <laughs> now I'm jealous. You have to go. Uh, I have to go. Well, definitely all of you listening should totally uh, contact us with any of your feedback on episodes, either the Supergirl episodes or on our episodes. Um, and if you want to listen to our episodes, we are available on iTunes and Stitcher. So if you have time, definitely we encourage you to give us a rating and write us a review. And we are a part of the DC TV podcast circle. So if you also like Gotham, Arrow, The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, and even DC movies, subscribe to our DC TV podcast mega feed and follow at DC TV podcast on Twitter and like DC TV podcast on Facebook. And as for me, you can find me at uh, the Mary Sue every day. That's themarysue.com. Um, and you can also find me at my website. Uh, that's teresagesino.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, you can pretty much find all of that through the site. And I'm on Patreon as well. So if you want to support some of my other writing, feel free to check me out at patreon.com slash teresagesino. And you can follow me on Twitter at DerbyKid, that's D-E-R-B-Y-K-I-D, and watch videos I've shot and edited on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash duckmilkprod. That's D-U-C-K-M-I-L-K-P-R-O-D. And if you want to stick around for a quick spoiler section about next week's episode of Supergirl, and yes, there will be an episode next week for once, thank God. Um, (laughs) It seems like they're taking a break every other week lately, but um, we will be doing that after our theme music. Uh, but until next time, I'm still Rebecca Johnson. And I'm still Teresa Giacino. Instead of playing with toys this week, we'll be reading Lois Lane's memoirs.
whether they are wearing a red cape or not, are a threat to our lives. My team and I are tracking your attack. Some aliens can look like anyone. You were warned. I'm on my way. And we are back. And what you just heard was the audio for what's coming up on Supergirl. Uh, The next episode is called Strange Visitor from Another Planet. The official description says, quote, Kara must help Hank face his painful past when a white Martian, a member of the alien race that wiped out his people, kidnaps Senator Miranda Crane, played by Tawny Cypress, an anti-alien politician. Also, Kat's estranged son, Adam, played by Blake Jenner and real-life husband of Melissa Benoist, arrives in National City, unquote. So what in this episode description, Teresa, excites you the most? I think, um, I mean, I've been, uh, ever since I I heard David Harewood start talking about it, uh, once it was revealed that he was Martian Manhunter, I've been really excited for this episode and kind of the exploration of the history between the white Martians and the green Martians. Um, I definitely am looking forward to seeing more Martian Manhunter, especially as uh, David Harewood plays him. Uh, And of course, you know, having Blake Jenner on just to, keep Melissa Benoist happy, you know, <laughs> it, that doesn't hurt either. Cause I'm sure that'll be really cute to watch. Yeah. I'm really excited to learn more about the white Martians and to see what Adam brings to the table with Kat. I know, uh, it sounds like, uh, Adam might have something to do with Kara, but I'm, I'm interested to seeing, uh, what that will do for Kat to, to see her estranged son in national city. So that's very exciting. Definitely. And yeah, because we've we've already gotten a little bit of information on that with uh, the hacking scandal and knowing that she had sent him money uh, and all of that. So yeah, I would definitely be interested to follow up on that. Well, thank you all for listening. And we'll be back with another episode discussion next week on Supergirl Radio.